Let's open our Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Say that real fast. Oh, yeah, you got it. Good, good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we, we began last week, uh, real places and real people. Thessalonica is a city, a real city. It's a very large city. It still exists. It's a, a city in Greece. At the time, it had about 200,000 people. Today, it has about 800,000 people. And Paul and his team, they got there after Paul in the night got a vision from a man of Macedonia that said, come over here, just begging, come over here and help us. And I'm sure they had plenty of needs over there, but the real need when Paul got there was he, need, he brought the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the, big, the biggest need that any of us have is Jesus Christ. That is the need that you and I have. We have lots of other small needs, but, but compared to that, everything else is really nothing compared to the need we have for our Savior Jesus. And that's what he went there. And it says that he taught them from the scriptures and he, he reasoned and he explained and he proved that Jesus had to suffer, that he had to die, that he rose from the dead and that he was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the one that we and they all need. Paul proclaimed Jesus, it says there, back in Acts chapter 17. And this word proclaim means to, to really to speak it out in such a way that you're calling for a response. He taught them all. He built this groundwork, this foundation of, of the Scripture. But, but in the end, th there was a response required, and he called for a response. And some Jews responded, and a large number of non-Jews, Gentiles, Greeks responded, and it said not a few prominent women responded as well. The interesting thing about this book that kind of sticks out in my mind is the fact that Paul and his team were not there very long. They were, they were there maybe three weeks. It could have been a little bit longer. We don't know for sure, but we know for sure they were there for three weeks. It, it, for certain, it, it, it wouldn't have been more than three months at the very max, just because of the way the book of Acts and, the, and how everything lines up and the timing of everything. But it looks like it could, be, it could be as short as three weeks that they were there. And then Paul and his team, they were chased out by the religious Jews because of jealousy and envy. But the interesting thing about that is that in that short of a period of time that a church was established, that a church was, was gathered together, this group of people. And see, this is God's plan to gather the people together. Uh, so often, and I've seen it um, so often through the years, and, and you probably know you're here together today, gathered together with other believers, but there's so many. How many of you know people that would tell you that I'm a Christian, and yet they don't have any amount of fellowship, they don't gather together with any group of people? How many of you know someone like that? A bunch of you. I, I've seen it over and over through the years here. There's just a lot of these Lone Ranger kind of Christians. Now, how do you get into a place like that? You get hurt. Something doesn't, you know, something happens in a church. Churches are full of sinners, right? We're just sinful people forgiven by God. And, and things are going to happen. They do happen. So do we just, you know, jettison the church? And, we, and then we just, I'm just going to go it alone because they're just a bunch of hypocritical people. We're all hypocritical people. But God established the church to gather together. 
even after only three weeks there, or maybe possibly a little bit longer, he said, listen, I want these people to get together. He, he kind of gave them some simple structure. And we saw in the book of Acts 2.42, one of our vision verses, you know, for, for the apostles' doctrine, the teaching, for the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. They, they would gather together for these things. We, we really do need each other. We really do. I don't have to tell you that because you're here. But, you know, there's so many times that we're tempted. You know, I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to watch TV. I'll watch so-and-so on TV today. And, and maybe there's someone. We're doing live streaming now, so maybe there's someone at home watching our live stream, and they're going, oops. Well, maybe you can't come, whoever you are, Right? But I would encourage you to come and to be a part of a group of people. Real people, real places. This is, you know, this is a real church where we gather together. It's not about the building, as we'll see later. Now, later on, Paul sent Timothy back to the Thessalonians to see how they were doing. And then Timothy came back to them, brought a pretty good report, like it was going pretty good. There were some things that needed to be addressed, but... But that's when Paul wrote this letter. A lot of it, you know, it was like good stuff, but he did have to kind of, you know, give them some teaching and some more instruction because we all need to be instructed and taught. It may be, some believe that it's, that it's the earliest of Paul's letters, the very first one that he wrote. Some think that maybe Galatians was written first and then 1 Thessalonians. Either way, it's one of the very first two letters that Paul wrote, which kind of tells us, you know, this is all, again, this is all happening, and the Holy Spirit's now working, that we need not just the Old Testament scriptures, but we need what we call the New Testament scriptures as well to kind of, you know, instruct us and, and help us build that foundation that we, that we need. Today's theme, as we're going to look at the verses uh, 1 through 3, is faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. And some of you are saying, well, you're saying that wrong. Well, we'll talk about that. I'm not saying it wrong. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. And we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off in verse 1 with these three names, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. These three guys, they were a team. There were others that there were always helping Paul, and, and he, always, he, he always had somebody with him. And there was one place where he was kind of like in Athens, I think it was, by himself, and he said, man, we, it was just not good. And he needed this group of people around him. And, and Paul was not a, uh, a one-man band. He always had a team. There was a group of people. And, and, you know, we are a team. We're in this thing together. You know what? The truth of the matter is even the A-team work together. Isn't that true? How many of you know the A-team? I love it when a plan comes together. You know, they were all very different people. This, this message is really about the A-team today. No, they were all very different people, but they worked together, and they always seemed to get it right, and no one ever got hurt. Well, that, that part really wasn't very realistic, but 
They worked together, and you see Paul and Silas and Timothy. When Paul went out on his second journey, remember, he took Silas with him. There was a, a, an issue that came up with Barnabas, and Silas went out with him. And, and they had met Timothy on the first journey, and then they kind of took Timothy along with them uh, midstream on the second journey. So they're out there working together, Paul and Silas and Timothy, and it says that they're writing now this letter this letter to the church of the Thessalonians. It's not just a, a document, it's a letter. Paul's saying, listen, you know, these people, and we're going to see later in the book, he says, you know, I loved you so much. I wanted to give you my whole heart, my whole life. I wanted to lay it out before you because I, I just love you people. But he wrote to this church, and, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, the church is not a building. You know, God has blessed us with a building to meet in, and that's cool. But this church... This church that we call Calvary Chapel, we, we, we were a church long before we ever had our own building. We were a church meeting in a house and meeting in a school and meeting in the Knights of Columbus. So wherever we could meet, that's where the church was. The church is, is a, a people. It's not a building. But when we say the word, that's what we think. We get a picture of this building in our mind, oh, that church. And we got this picture of this building. But it's not. It's a people. It's a group of people that gather together. The word uh, is, is ecclesia. Now that word was used back then by not just the Christians, but it was used as a, as a, a term of assembly where, where people would gather together, they would assemble. But Paul, of course, he, he takes the term and it becomes much more than that. It now becomes a local group of believers. It it was those that were called out. The word ecclesia means those that were called out. And Paul sees it as a, as a term now for the church. But it, initially it was just an assembly, but it, it becomes much more than that. How do I know that it was more than that? Well, it says it right there. It's to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a spiritual relationship where God was Father. And Jesus is Lord. God as Father and Jesus as Lord. That's where, that's where we gather together. We worship Him, God and our Father. We talked at Father's Day about He's the greatest Father ever. The greatest Father ever. I hope you know Him as your Father. I, I, he, he's been my Father for a long, long time. And, and what a Father He is. I have a stepfather. It was his birthday the other day. I called him up. He's 83, and uh, we had a nice chat on the phone. He's been good to me, been very good to me. Um, but my heavenly father has been the real father in my life over the last 35, 37 years. Paul says, listen, you gather together. You're this group of people gathering together. You have, you have this in common. You have God as your father, and you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, where you call him Lord. Not just Savior, but Lord, where he, he, he guides us. He directs us. We do what he says. It's not just a social club. It's where we gather together. Jesus is Lord. And, and Lord means what? It means master. It means ruler. It means one in charge. We don't use that term much here in our society, right? But that's what it means, right? Lord. So Paul's writing to them. He says, listen, you're a group of people, real people. Just as we're a group of real people today and we gather together because of our God and Father and, and our God and Father sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
His greeting, we all have read that so many times before, grace and peace to you, but we can just pass over it quickly. But really, and again, this was kind of, Paul takes things that are, that are being used and he, and, he, and he makes them powerful, right? Because people would say, the common greeting of the day, they would say a form of charis, grace. Well, you know, it's like, it's like you know, uh, good luck to you or blessings or whatever. But Paul takes this word grace and he sees in it the grace of God. And so when you're just greeting somebody, you're actually putting a blessing on them. Grace, the grace of God be upon you, to you. That's interesting, isn't it? Again, taking what's just kind of normal and making it something powerful. He said peace to you, and and peace was the, the Hebrew greeting, shalom. They still say that in Israel. You go to Israel and you talk to somebody, they'll say shalom. Shalom. Now, are they saying the shalom of Jesus Christ? Probably not. They might be kind of thinking the shalom of Yahweh, perhaps. But for Paul, it's, it's the grace and peace of God. And he always puts them in that order. First, the grace, the unmerited favor from God, and that brings the peace of God. Peace with God and the peace of God. That's a whole other story, a study we can go into Oh, another time, but the, the thing about this is it's not just like, like what you and I say, this common greeting of today. What's the common greeting of today? How are you doing? Yeah, that's like what we all say. And it has no meaning whatsoever because you don't really want to know. <laughs> if you say to me, how are you doing? I'm afraid to tell you anyways. Some people are not afraid to tell you, and then you say, well, I didn't really want to know. You know please stop. I got to go. But, but you know what I'm saying? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Good, good. How about you? Good, okay. It's been nice having this real deep conversation with you now. Okay, bye. It's so much deeper than that. And, and, and for, the, for the church, we, we need to get a little bit deeper than just how you doing. How you doing? Right? We got to get a little bit deeper, a little bit, a little bit beyond that if we're going to really be the church. I need grace. I need peace. And for you to give me the grace and the peace, that's powerful. You need grace and peace. One man said this, the the greeting grace and peace embraces the best blessings that anyone could enjoy this side of heaven. Grace is God's undeserved favor in every aspect of our lives. Peace is the unruffled quietness which defies the crashing, crushing circumstances of life. I like that. Grace is the cause and peace the effect. I need all that. I want all that. We could just stop right now. Let's just look at each other and say grace and peace. Go ahead, say that to someone. Grace and peace. Now that was meaningful. I want you to think about that, though. Grace, the grace of God to you and the peace of Christ to you. That's powerful. That really is powerful. Verse 2, let's move on. He said, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. Mentioning you in our prayers. He starts off and says, we thank God. We thank God for all of you and and those people, all of you, each one of you. Again, it's not the building, but it's the people. And he was thankful for those people. I'm thankful for each one of you most of the time. (laughs) 
Some of you are going, that guy's weird. <laughs> you might be thankful for me some of the time. We're not perfect, though, but, but to see, to be thankful for each other, you know, in, in a way where we kind, of, we kind of have grace for each other, we kind of have a little mercy for each other, we're kind of thankful for each other. Hey, this is, the, this is who we is, right? This is the group that God has given to us, so we've got to look around and say, well, uh, you know, I don't really understand that person, but this is God bringing together a group of people, and I'm thankful for what God has given. I'm thankful for you. Even if you might be, you know, hard to deal with sometimes, or even though you don't like the way I look or, or the way I talk or anything like that, you know, we're, we, this people, again, this ecclesia, this gathering together, this assembly that God has given, he says, I'm thankful for all of you. And then he says he, he mentioned them in their prayers and, and, and to pray for one another. Just to pray for one another. Notice he just says, I'm mentioning you. Mentioning you. Or, I thank God for you. I mention you. Sometimes we think we need to have a big, long prayers. Well, just mention. Just, take, just a quick prayer is okay, too. Prayer is good, no matter if it's short or long. Mentioning you in our prayers. Verse 3, he says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I thank God for you, for all of you. I pray. And thirdly, he says, I remember. I remember you before our God and Father. Sometimes we need a little help. How many of you have little memory problems? How many of you don't raise your hand, but do not know the name of the person next to you? Don't raise your hand. You can't remember. How many of you, you can raise your hand, how many cannot remember my name? <laughs> you know, we, we, just, we just need to think about one another. And if this is the church that God has placed together, I need to remember these people and remember kind of what they're going through. And if I know and, and pray for them, hey, hey, God bless so-and-so. And, I, you know, I remember they said something to me. My memory is... is I don't know if I have short-term memory loss or long-term memory loss. I just can't remember. But the fact is, you know, we need to, like, you know, help each other out and stir each other up to remember one another before our God and Father. What, and we'll get to the, the, the main point here in this passage, what did they remember? What did Paul remember? He says we continue to remember, and then he talks about these things, these three things. The faith, love, and hope. You see the, the, the order there? Faith, love, and hope. You say, well, it should be faith, hope, and love. Now, where do we get faith, hope, and love from? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's easy to remember. 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. The faith, hope, and love. And now these three remain or abide. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that's... The love chapter, we can read all about it there. The greatest of these is love. But let's stop for a minute and talk about these three and, and the order. You know, again, the order isn't quite as important. I think Paul puts them in different orders for different reasons. In the love chapter, well, love is really, he says, the greatest of, is love. 
But we're going to look at a few verses where we see these rings because Paul talks about them and others talk about them in different places and different ways and different times. Faith, love, and hope. We can just stop there because those are three things that, that we all kind of need and want and should grow and, and be strengthened in, right? Faith, love, and hope. I'm going to say it that way just to get you thinking in a different way. Faith, love, and hope. This faith, this faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, faith is trusting, faith in Him, faith, putting our faith in Him. This love is a, it really is, is kind of a two-pronged, really, is, is God's love for us and our love for Him, and of course our love for one another, really kind of three things there. But love, agape love, where we think of the other. God so loved the world, He agaped the world that He gave His only Son. And we love Him because He first loved us. Faith, Love and hope. This hope that we have, this hope in Him, that this hope in His return. Again, the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians uh, deal with the return of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Our hope in Him, our hope in His return, our hope in His plan, our hope in the future that He has for us, it deals with really every area of our lives, our faith, our love, and our hope. I want you to turn back to Colossians first. We're going to look at a few verses in dealing with this. Turn back to Colossians, though, one book back in chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. A very similar uh, greeting from Paul, an introduction, you might call it. Verse 3, chapter 1, Colossians. He says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. That's a love for one another. The faith and love, and notice this, the, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about. In the word of truth, the gospel. Notice how he says here, the faith and love is springing up out of the hope that, that is stored up for us in heaven. This future that we have because we have this future and, and our, it inspires our faith and it inspires our love for God and for one another. It helps us understand his love for us because of what he's done for us, how he's preparing a place for us. Faith and love springing up from the hope stored up for us. One person said this about the order in 1 Thessalonians is faith, love, and hope is because hope takes the final position because it, it seems, he says, so fitting in a letter, so con concerned with the end times that he finishes with hope because really this is one of the major themes of the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Now let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and, and look, at the, look at verse 3 again. He says that your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. But these are not just theoretical positions. They're not just kind of stand by themselves. But, but something comes out of these things, you see. Faith, love, and hope. 
Faith, he says here, that produced work. Love that prompted labor and hope that inspired endurance. Practical results. Practical results come out of faith and love and hope. We don't just walk around and say, you know, I'm in love, I'm in love. No, it brings, it brings something out. I have faith in God. I have so much faith in God, but I don't do anything. I'm not involved. I don't, nothing is go- coming out of my life. Oh, I've got a lot of hope, but, you know, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. We've got a lot of hope, but it, it, it produces, it inspires endurance. Let's look at the first one. He says, your, your work produced by faith. And the word for work used in this first instance is the word ergon, which um, just means toil. It means work. It means job. And where we get our word ergonomic, right? Where you kind of make your workplace ergonomic astronomic, gastronomic, no, ergonomic, I guess, just makes it so you're comfortable there and you're going to do the job and not get hurt or whatever like that. That's where this word is, ergon. It's just work. And he, he says here that your work, your ergon, your toil, your job is produced by faith. In other words, faith produces action, someone said. There's, there's, there's some kind of work that comes out of your faith. Your faith isn't just you know, inactive, ineffective. Paul, speaking in Philippians chapter 1, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, if I, am, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor or work, ergon for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He said, you know what, if I stay, I want to go to heaven because to live is Christ, to die is gain, I'm going to go be with him. But if I stay, there's some work for me to do. There's some work, there's a job for me. And he says, I, I, you know, it's fruitful. It's going to bring fruit, whatever I do, that ergon that I can do, that, that work that I can do, and it's more necessary for you, he says, that I remain in the body. You know, as I'm thinking about these, well, how do we, how do we apply this word work? Because, you know, it, you can say, well, it, is, is it my job that out there? I think it applies to that too, but I think it, it's, again, it's not just your job. It's what God is, is going to work through you in this world, through me in this world. Again, as, we, as we've talked earlier, where Paul takes something that is a simple concept, but he, he, he makes it much bigger spiritually and adds something to it that, that is way powerful. He says this ergon, that, is, that, that if I stay here living in this body, it's going it's to be a fruitful labor, and it's more necessary for you that I stay, that I can help you and encourage you. You say, well, how would that relate to my job? Well, you know what, if you go to the job and there's somebody there who needs a word from you, you're there at the job, but you're also doing the job. You see, you're also fulfilling the work that God has given to you to fulfill. And I believe every one of us has work to do. Every one of us has work to do. It's not all the same. Those guys in the A-team, they all did different things, you know. Some of them were a little smarter than others. One was just all brawn, right? Mr. T, he was just all muscle. I'm not sure who was the brains of the group. One guy was just kind of good looking. 
Face man. <laughs> the other guy was just crazy. I guess, I guess that means that the colonel, he had all the brains. But they all work together, and, and each one of us, we all have different gifts and different jobs and different work to do. Just find out what it is. I'm not going to try to lay some guilt trip on you because, you know what, I'm, I'm still trying to find out everything that I'm supposed to do. But you've got to step out and try things or you never learn, you never grow. We, we heard a great uh, a ministry minute a few weeks back from uh, Patrick, or, or uh, no, it was, I forget who it was, I'm trying to remember, um, how they tried something and then it led to this and it led to that and finally, you know, God put this together. They tried something. Your work produced by faith. What's the job? What's, what's, what's God going to do? Jesus said, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. There's some work for you and I to do. It's not just to get food. Though we do need to work. And later on, even in, in these letters, Paul, uh, there were people who were saying, I don't really need to work. I'm just waiting for Jesus. I'm going to go wait on top of the mountain until Jesus comes back. And he said, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. So you should work. None of you, please don't misunderstand this. But there's some work to do. And Jesus said it in some place, you know, I have work to do that you don't even understand. And Jesus, in his prayer, John 17, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work, Aragon, that you gave me to do. I brought you glory, he says to the Father, on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Let's turn to the book of James. I, 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 um, I would probably, probably be remiss if I didn't have you turn there. James, Peter... John, Jude, Revelation. So James chapter 2, just to make the point before we move on to point number 2. He says in chapter 2, James verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no ergon, has no work, has no job, has no toil? He says, what good is it? Can such faith save him? How about uh, in verse 17? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by ergon, work, action, is dead. It's useless. If there's nothing that comes out of it, it's useless, he's saying. In verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have ergon deeds. Show me your faith without ergon, and I will show you my faith by what I do. It's not enough just to say, I believe, I believe, I believe, and, and nothing ever happens. Nothing ever comes out of it. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. Your work produced by faith. Number two, your labor prompted by love. Faith, leading to some kind of work, some kind of serve, some kind of action. 
Now he says your labor prompted by love, that, that, that love has now working inside of us, this love that God has for us, this love that we have for him, this love that we have for one another. There's something coming out of it. Now this word is a different word. This word where it says here, labor is the word kopos, which means toil with pain or hard work or intense labor. You see, faith just brings some kind of work in our lives, but now he's saying love is going is to go beyond that to the, to the place where it actually costs you something, where it actually can hurt. Toil with pain. Hard work. I was working on a car. You know, I tell people, I tell people that I enjoy working on cars, right? And it's like a hobby, right? Well, I was, I was under a car about three weeks ago, and you know what? It was so hard and so intense, because I work on the ground, and I had, you know, broken a bolt, and I had to drill this hole out, and I couldn't get to it. And I'm working with my hands over my head like this, and I was there for three hours. I mean, this was intense, and it, it hurt. And I almost got to the place where I just gave up. Oh, I can't do it. I'm going to give up. And, I, and somehow I just kept going. But it was intense. I don't think I've faced that kind of intense labor for a long, long time. And, and, and actually, um, my arm was like numb on the outside here. It's still a little bit numb. It's coming back, though. This intense labor. This is the kind of word that he's talking about here. This kopos, where you actually do something where it, it, it actually costs you something. It's hard. But it comes out of a heart of love. It doesn't come out of a heart of, you know, i got to get out there and do that for them because, you know, I'm a Christian. And they're Christians or whatever. No, it's it got to come out of love, where this agape love, where where I it's an unselfish love. You know, we've been we've been um, shortchanged and we've been misled. You know, thinking, you know what, if it gets a little bit too hard, just don't do it. If it gets if it might cost me something, just don't do it. You know, let someone else do it. It, it and it's just not worth it. I got to think about me. You know, what if my you know my arm starts going numb? I'm not going to do it, you know? I'm not trying to lift myself up on that. It was, it was really kind of stupid. But if any of you have an extra lift you want to give to me, I could do the job in like 15 minutes, okay? I'll set it up outside my garage. My garage is very small. I can't even get it inside, but whatever. Where was I? Love. Love. Labor of love. Your labor prompted by love. Didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels me, constrains me. It, it pushes me forward. He says, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. The love of Christ compels me. And we, we have to kind of get this idea out of our, our heads, you know, that if it costs something, well, I don't really want to do it. Turn back to Colossians again, chapter 1, verse 28. Interesting. Interesting verse. Paul speaks about it for himself. Verse 28, we proclaim him, that's Jesus. He said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
He said, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. He, he, he just had a heart that people would know Jesus Christ. The hope of glory, that, that is the hope that we have. But verse 29, he says, to this end I labor, kopos, I labor, I work intensely, I toil with pain, I work really, really hard. He said, but, but not with his own strength, he says, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Even when we do work hard, we can't like take credit for, well, I, just, I worked so hard for you. And No, it was God's strength in me, the strength of Jesus. And, and you know, I can do all things through strength, through Christ who strengthens me to do it. I labor with pain, with intensity, with hard work. How about one more verse I want to look at before we get to point number three? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. This is, an, by the way, of encouragement for both. Ergon and Kopos. 1 Corinthians 58. I love God's word. When you find interesting things that are there, it's just like, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. He says, always give yourself fully to the ergon, the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor, kopos, in the Lord is not in vain. Both of them right there. He says, don't give up. Keep going. Keep doing it. He says, because it's not in vain. It's going to bring forth fruit, as Paul said, fruitful work. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Finally, we have faith and we have love. We have faith that produces work and love that prompts Labor, and we have hope now back in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, verse chapter one, verse three. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. He ends the triad, many have called it the triad of faith, hope, and love. Faith, love, and hope. He says, their hope led to endurance. Endurance, that, that, that patient enduring. How many of you need endurance? I need endurance. Man, we got to go. We got to keep going. Sometimes, like I said, I wanted to give up on that little job I was doing, and I was so close. I could have, you know, I could have given up. I could have quit, but I was so close. But I, I, I kept going. I endured. And, and you and I, we, you know, we are so close. But what keeps us going is that hope, that hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that, that Christ's in us, the hope of glory, the hope of, of heaven, the hope of, of his return, that blessed hope that he's coming back. The scripture in the Old Testament tells us, I've given you a future and a hope. And that hope will keep us going. And now, now hope, again, 
how we define words is very important. This word hope is not just what we, we kind of see it in our vocabulary. It's kind of wishful thinking. Well, I kind of hope that, you know, uh, he'll finish soon. I'm getting tired. I'm thinking about lunch already. I kind of hope that, you know, uh, this would happen or that happen. But, but when you see that word hope in the New Testament, in the Scripture, in the Bible... New and Old Testament, it's something very different. It's confident expectation is the best way to define it. Confident expectation. I hope. I put my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I built my hope, my confident expectation that Jesus is going to return and therefore I'm going to keep going until he does. Or until he comes for me. I'm going to keep going because I got hope that is strong. It's not just wishful thinking. I hope he's going to come back, and I hope it's going to happen. I hope I go to heaven. No, no, it's not that. I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ died for me in my place, and I'm going to go to heaven. I got that solid hope. That's the hope that we need. Again, we got to be careful when we use the word that we understand what the meaning of the word is. I'm going to keep on because I know what's coming. That's why in the, in the book of Hebrews it says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, kind of holding us, holding us strong. And those of you that know about boats, you know an anchor is kind of important when things get rough and you, and you don't want to be blown around. You've got to have an anchor. But he says we have this hope. The hope in Jesus Christ is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's not wishful thinking. That's confident expectation that's going to that, that's going to keep us firm and secure, keep us strong. Faith produced work. Love prompted labor, intense labor, kopos, and hope inspired endurance. We, need, we all need to be inspired, I think, too, to be patiently endure until Jesus comes. I want to close with well, two verses, two, two passages. One, uh, Revelation chapter 2. Let's turn there first. Revelation chapter 2, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 10. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2 is a warning, really. They had work and they had labor. They had ergon and they had kopos. And they had perseverance. They had all three of these that we have seen now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. They had all three of those we saw in, in, in other places as well, in Colossians, in 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 2. He said, I know your deeds, Ergon, your hard work, Kopos, and your perseverance. I know you, you're doing all the things. You have worked, you have intense labor, and you also have perseverance. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have, in, you have persevered, you have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You can do all the stuff and have all this stuff coming out, he says, but he says there's one thing, there's a problem, and you've forsaken your first love, and that's the love between us and Jesus, isn't it? Our relationship with him has got to be first. 
Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things you did at first. Developing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, the, and these other things come out of that. Maybe that's why Paul said, you know, the greatest of these is love. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll close there. Hebrews chapter 10. Back a few books. Just before James. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 through 24. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Faith, hope, and love. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Faith, hope, and love, but there's this idea of being together and, 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 and challenging and encouraging and, and pushing and and stirring and spurring one another on to just to be the church, to be what God's called us to be with faith and love and hope.